This is the CX Patterns Podcast with Sam Stern, and in this episode, I expose the fact that I can't tell the difference between self-reinforcing and mutually reinforcing trends. I also talked to my former Forrester colleague, Andrew Hogan, who is the current insights lead at Figma, about forces shaping the world of work today. In this episode, I think we will convince you that the cliche is true. The world of work has changed. You know that already. But what I love is that Andrew comes with research. They study how companies who have handled this well have reacted to the forces shaping the new world of work and how you can learn from their examples. So what actually has changed about work? Well, we, we aren't going back to a world where we're synchronously in the office with our teams for a full week anymore. Return to work, hybrid, work from anywhere, you don't have to know the answer. Here's what you do have to know. Before the pandemic, you could count on your team and your colleagues being in the office, let's say, four days a week, with maybe Friday being a bit of a crapshoot. Okay, there were a lot of Monday long weekends, and I can remember that we almost never scheduled workshops uh, and delivery sessions on a Monday or Friday. But Tuesday to Thursday, fair game, no doubt. You didn't even ask. Now, not so much. You check if your colleagues are coming in. Or you ask them to be in the office explicitly on a specific day when you're planning an in-person session. You ask because what if someone doesn't have daycare coverage on the day you need them? What if they're working from the Dublin office from the summer? You see my point. The lack of coordinated in-person time is the jumping off point for how Andrew wants us to think about completing our customer experience work in this new world. Three big recommendations from him. We talk through each in detail. All right, let's get to the conversation with Andrew Hogan. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the CX Patterns Podcast. This is Sam Stern, and very excited to be joined on this episode by my former Forrester colleague, Andrew Hogan. Hi, Andrew. Hi, Sam. Thanks for having me. Andrew is now the lead for insights at Figma, and he's somebody who thinks and researches a lot about trends shaping digital product and design today. That's a good thing, by the way, for someone at Figma to be doing because they can apply it very directly. So Andrew, really excited to have you and to talk about some of those trends that you're seeing in the digital design and, and product creation space. If I could start high level with you, what trends or forces have you observed that are changing the ways that CX teams, design teams, user experience teams have to work? So there's a couple of big things happening. One of them is that there are now more people involved in the process. You know, it's the sort of thing that gets executive level attention now at this point. But then there's also, you know, developers are much more involved in the process now. The legal is involved in the process now. Marketing, research, we just sort of like, we did this series of interviews and people just said it's it's so much more active from so many different voices now. The other one is the the nature of teams. Teams are now much more distributed. The in the US, the number of remote days worked is up 5x since before the pandemic. And I just don't know if we've all internalized that change. And then the the last one is things are now more work in progress and you you no longer ship one thing every few months. You're sort of constantly shipping, things are constantly changing, and you're always trying to make your product 
better product site app, whatever, however you want to frame it. And that then means that teams can end up off track or they can end up with really tight rapport, but it's, it's, it's almost like the cycles uh, have accelerated and there are now more of them. Interesting. I can think on my own experience as you were laying that out and it rings true, involving more people, having fewer days together in person. Obviously, as someone who's now working remotely, that, that really rings true. And, you know, we've been adopting Agile in our customer experience team at LinkedIn. So the idea of uh, everything being more work in progress, being more iterative, being never done also rings true. I want to start back with the first one in terms of more people needing to be involved, more people, more stakeholders, more teams. That makes sense. You've got to include them or at least keep them in the loop. And I think that is obvious to me, at least why that would make the work more challenging. Let me flip that slightly. Why do all those teams need to be involved in the new way of working. I think the the key here is that everybody involved is an expert in their own space. You know, you have a researcher that's an expert in research and in the insights that are being pulled out. You have a product lead that might be an expert in the business context or the competitive context or know some deep nuance about users. Legal is an expert at the things that, you know, legal knows how to do and is responsible for. And so when you start leaving people out who have integral inputs or you bring them in too late, they can't change as much. They can't shape things. So you end up really off track further down, or it can create these sort of like, you know, fractures or sort of clues that are problematic. And of course, then this creates all these role clarity issues around who's deciding on what. But the the reason to get them involved is because of everyone's unique expertise and experience and how much that can add to a great design process. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. And I, I think, you know, what you were just laying out there reminds me of a, a doomsday scenario where you do all the work and bring legal in for a final check near the end. And they're like, this is not going. This is not shipping. You're I mean, you hear this. You hear this all the time with with development teams, especially where you know, they are potentially referencing something that's really out of date or they have old, you know, they're working off of something that isn't what the design team is is sort of working with. And when you get them involved early, often in an ongoing way, again, assuming the roles are clear and assuming the sort of organizational culture is working well, those are just invaluable inputs to get earlier. That makes sense. And and so let's let's go right at those assumptions that you were just laying out there. Assuming the roles are clear, assuming the organizational culture, or at least the team dynamics, the working culture around that stream of work is is healthy, those are big assumptions. How, how do we get to that kind of role clarity? Or how do we get to, I think as you had termed it, collaborative versus cooperative culture, getting more collaborative and getting to a point where roles are really clear? I believe the extremely clever title was Collaborative Magic versus Cooperative Mess. And the idea is that you can sort of just get everything sort of strewn everywhere. You can have comments everywhere and, you know, frustrating Zoom calls, but you can also have these really amazing conversations and you can have people, you know, jamming together, editing together, co-creating together in a file. And there's, there's a real difference there. And I think the, one of the key ways that can happen is through these kind of like mindset shifts that the best organizations seem to have made. So from I'm going to wait to share until I feel like it's fully ready to, you know, let's have these sorts of like 
shaping discussions and early conversations that come from a mindset of surprising transparency from the idea that, you know, everyone should know what I do and what's happening on this project to I'm going to create artifacts and mechanisms to make it really clear we have a mutual understanding about what we're trying to accomplish and what everybody's roles are. And then the last one is sort of a trust building exercise. It is much harder to be annoyed at someone if you know the name of their dog. And that's a really silly example, but somehow you have to make work about more than work. And sometimes, you know, you can have like a really great comment in Zoom that can set a meeting off in a much better direction. Sometimes you can have the right emoji reaction in Slack or Teams that can make things feel better, even if they're potentially not going in the right direction. You can also misuse those things, of course, too. But there's some 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 tools that can help you to have these sort of three mindsets that lead to more of this collaborative magic, at least in the the research that we've been doing. That's great. Yeah. And those do strike me as self-reinforcing. I mean, sorry, not self-reinforcing. Those do strike me as mutually reinforcing, that the surprising transparency is something that can build trust and open up conversations because now people are seeing things and, and almost being invited in at a point where criticism or feedback on the work comes in time rather than too late and so is welcomed rather than rebuffed. And the idea of the, the mutual understanding of how work has changed, I think then almost imperative alongside of that is making work about more than the work. Because if we're not together in a physical space, we do have to invest more and spend more time in and maybe probably, you know, put down in the agenda what feel like hokey exercises to break the ice, to get to know each other, but that you would maybe do naturally if you were together in a physical space, but you have to work at a little harder to do when you are not co-located in the same physical space. There's a really great quote from some of the research about, you know, it used to be that you'd have these conversations where you know, you, you talk about how the work could be better. You talk about how this could be better. You could approach this other way better. And then you would talk about how somebody's shoes were really cool or about what you were doing that weekend. And so it's very hard if you just do only the first thing about how everything could be better. And like you said, you can create these intentional spaces to share, you know, what are you doing this weekend? And, you know, what's going on with your dog? And, what are your kids up to? What camps are they in? And that we now have all these tools to do those things virtually. So it doesn't have to be, you know, 15 minutes of the meeting. You can share it all in a file and talk about, you know, all those things, even maybe share some photos. Yeah, that's great. And that makes a lot of sense to me because I think, you know, you want to be able to get to a point where feedback, criticism is understood to be of the work, not of the individual. So that really resonated with me, what you were just saying, Andrew, because the idea that we want criticism to be received as criticism of the work and not of me as the individual, if I'm the designer, that's easier to do when I've built rapport with you, the person giving me criticism. And when I know that you know about me as an individual, you know about my life, you know about my kids, and we've had those conversations, I can set aside the, the feedback as criticism of the work and not think that you don't care about me as an individual. Right. And then the other one is like the celebration of the feedback as well. So, mm -hmm. you know, we have data that teams that the most successful teams are 76% more likely to praise or recognize people for incorporating feedback. So it's not just that you give the feedback, it's that you incorporate it and you recognize it and sort of the whole 
culture kind of like, this is how we're going to do this. We're going to talk about it in a collaborative way and we're going to change what we're doing. And then we're going to, you know, put it out in the world and then we're going to talk about it and we're going to change what we're doing, you know, all over again. Right. And that positive feedback is often helpful and useful in and of its own right to know what you got right, to know what's working, to know what resonated, to do that again, especially as you've been highlighting some different ways of working here. If, if the praise or if the recognition is coming for the, the style of working, right, whether it's the transparency or whether it's sharing more of the work in progress or whether it's building that rapport, you want to encourage that as well, right? The new process, the new styles of working. Right. Andrew, is there an example of a company or of a project that stands out to you where you've seen this approach really pay off? So there's there's one engineering manager at a software company that we talked to that described this this one project where the team like couldn't really decide on things they couldn't really find a direction they actually this this person was really frustrated because they would make a some sort of decision and then they would have to keep backtracking on that choice they they couldn't actually move the project forward and we all want forward momentum you always want to feel like you're making progress that's like an integral part of people's satisfaction at work but then that same person that same engineering manager described another process another project that was wildly successful where they actually had you know all these different people playing a role they had an embedded user experience researcher they had a product lead that sort of set the roadmap but then you know wasn't didn't have problems with changes and shifts in an engineering lead that was sort of able to pop in and out and kind of shape things. This person found that project to be like wildly successful. And it, it was one of the more important digital products that that, that particular company worked on. So it, it's so interesting how it even varies within a, a given company. You can have this cooperative mess and you can have this collaborative magic where everybody's playing their part and and their role and somehow it, it, that the team just knows who's supposed to be doing what yeah that is that is really striking that it's the same company finding two very different scenarios playing out and i'm struck by that second one where everyone's involved it probably at times felt slower or felt like the process the process of the progress wasn't there but you were making progress and in the right direction and you didn't have to backtrack and you didn't have to, you know, admit defeat for having gone down a cul-de-sac and turn around and go back, but that you kept making steady progress in the right direction because you had all those voices in the virtual room in this, in this case, I'm imagining, but you had those people involved from the beginning so that their feedback could guide you in the right direction before it was too late, before you had to circle back and, and redouble efforts. Yeah, I mean, exactly. And and there was another example that we found in the research from a product manager who the place they, sort of the way they shared it was that no matter who came into the project, they had one story to tell about the project. The, the discussion sort of brought everyone along, kind of built everything up in a way that, you know, if you were added late, you had all these you know, artifacts of discussion and, and documentation and, you know, information that allowed you to sort of talk about it in, in one way, similar to the people who'd been on the project since the beginning. And that was just a, it's a really interesting idea of like, what's the one story that we're all telling 
about this project. I love that. And I love that if it's a powerful and clear enough story that new folks coming onto that project team could articulate it in the same way, that's a great test uh, that we have one story for this project to the degree that anyone who joins the project team at any point can tell that same story. That's a, that's a, that's a great recommendation and also a great test if you're, if you're on track there. Andrew, you know, so you've got collaborative magic contrasted with cooperative mess. And yet I look at the word cooperative and you know, in my head, I'm thinking, you know, it's not so bad. Cooperative. Why can cooperative lead to a mess? Why is that maybe not as strong a word that starts with C as collaborative is? I think the core challenge here is whether you're building and trying for a mutual sort of understanding of what you're trying to accomplish and you know what 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 roles everyone is playing or whether you're all sort of just working together at the same time on the same kinds of things. So I think it's more of a measure of whether you're amplifying the unique strengths of different people or whether you're all just kind of doing your own thing and hoping that it works out at the end, or maybe you just kind of ship it at the end because that's all that the team has had time for. So I think that's kind of the difference between the two. And yeah, some element of is, you know, you go for like a clever alliteration, but then some element of is the truth. We've all been part of projects where theoretically everybody did their thing. And yet at the end, it didn't feel better. It didn't feel like, great. It felt like it was done. Yeah. As you were laying that out, that, that contrast, and so push back on this characterization if you, if you need to, but it was striking me that when you're collaborating, it might not feel as smooth as when you're cooperating because you'll, there'll be friction and you'll challenge each other and there will be constructive criticism and feedback. Whereas when you're cooperating, everyone's being nice and you know, sort of doing their own thing and maybe not really coming together and not speaking difficult truths to each other. And in the end, you have an output that doesn't look like it was a cohesive collaborative effort. You have an output that looks like everyone contributed in their prescribed role and didn't really come together. Is that is that a sort of a fair distinction between the two? Yeah, I, I think that is, I think that is fair. And I think we've all been part of processes that felt very messy and sometimes even like frustrating on a day-to-day basis that at the end you were more proud of um, than other projects that felt fine and in right you know in the research that shows up as well like i go back to that point about feedback you know praising people for incorporating feedback doesn't mean that they sort of did the thing it means that they took it into account and they maybe had a conversation about it. And it, it it doesn't mean that you just sort of accept. It just means that you accounted for it and maybe had a conversation. And that's, I think, the big thing that you're striving for with mutual understanding is not, you know, full alignment and agreement at all times. It's an understanding of the perspectives that are being brought in. So, Andrew, we've been sort of sharing ideas thinking that you packaged into a keynote that you gave at the recent Sigma Config conference, I think in June of 2023, listeners, whenever you're listening to it, that's when you know the the conference was. So we've shared a lot of the ideas in your talk, but I'm wondering if 
your talk sparked conversation, sparked feedback, insights that came to you at that conference that sort of built on on what you've already shared with us today? Technically not a keynote, but what even is a keynote these days? <laughs> but I did I did present some of this research. And then we also ran this, you know, interactive session in Fig Jam about how you might apply some of these things to, you know, have more fire emojis in your life and create more intentional spaces for discussion and all the things that that you can do well in that that software. I think the biggest thing that jumped out at me was how much people resonated with the forces of change that were they were adapting to. So I've done this long enough and you have too to know that a lot of the feedback is helpful and we need to have different mindsets to go into this of mutual understanding. A lot of that's kind of like good leadership and good teamwork. But there's something happening around the there are more people in the process so that creates other problems. The distributed teams that some of which have grown really rapidly over the last few years and now have to work together, like that really resonated with people. And then this idea that 100% of your conversations are sort of like status meetings or about making the work better, or like you very rarely just get on a Zoom and just hang out. And even if you do that, it's with not that many people for not that long. And so there's this, this feeling of these forces that a lot of leaders are trying to grapple with that that resonated more than the, I think, the advice of and prescription for change. And I just, I found that fascinating. And I've been known to be sort of like obsessed with problems and challenges that people are facing. So maybe that's part of this, but somehow that kind of like, what are we trying to navigate our way through was the, those were the big discussions. And that runs throughout the config conference and throughout the, what other people presented and what they talked about. And I found that really interesting and energizing because I want to help solve those challenges. Yeah, that's great. I, mean, I think the uh, the forces that you describe, right, that we're seeing this big increase in the number of participants, the number of teams you have to keep looped in, the fact that work has changed forever now that they're just, I love how you framed it too. Is it going to be fully remote or is it going to be hybrid? The number of days in office is way down. Yeah. And the number of days remote is way up. And that is not going back. Like you will still have just this step change difference in how many days your whole team is not going to be in the office together. That won't go back. And that everything is work in progress. You just framed it really well too, which is when we talk about the work, we just talk about the work unless we make a concerted effort to get to know each other. And to me, it's how you've packaged these three together because at their best, they're self-reinforcing, sorry, they're mutually reinforcing where you are getting more out of each of those by put, putting them together. But at their worst, they make the others even more of a, of a difficult trend to work with. Because if you have more people and they're in more places and you know less about them, we've got a real mountain to climb now to get to a good place where we can work together as a team. It's a powerful either inhibitor to work or an enabler of work, depending on if you've mastered these forces with the new mindsets you described. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Andrew, this has been great. Really appreciate you sharing all of this with us. And I'll post a link to your LinkedIn profile and to some of the resources from Figma that you've shared here. So fair warning, you might get some follow-up from people on LinkedIn. Hope that's okay. But thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. Love to connect with people on LinkedIn. Big fan of sharing there and hearing what people want. And thanks for having me, Sam. So, 
As you heard, Andrew pushed way past the cliche of the changing world of work and made it clear that first, you have more stakeholders to involve in your project work. And you have to be more transparent with your stakeholders across the span of your project because you want them feeling involved and consulted and informed along the way. And you have to find ways to get to know colleagues who you are spending less in-person time with than you were before. You have to find ways to get to know them on a human level. I loved Andrew's one-story test. I'm absolutely incorporating uh, this idea into my next project. The importance of all project team members having one story that everyone is telling about your project. And then he proposed that test on that story. When new people join the project team or you have a new stakeholder that you're working with, can they also tell the project story correctly? This matters because if the purpose of the project is clear and the communication is consistent and clear about the project and the project team is being transparent with their stakeholders, then they should pass the one story test with ease. But if there are multiple versions of the story, that's a symptom of underlying tension either within the project team or with how it's communicating and working with its partners. And finally, involving more people, being more transparent, and focusing on your colleagues as full humans. Put those together, and they are mutually reinforcing. I got it right this time. Together, they make everything that you're doing in your customer experience project work, work better. Thanks for listening to the CX Patterns Podcast. If you follow me on LinkedIn, You'll see the newsletter that accompanies each podcast episode and contains all of the details and links that support the information shared during this episode. The newsletter is also a great way to share this episode with someone else, and I would appreciate you doing that. If you have feedback, you know that this is a podcast about customer experience, and so you know I would love your feedback. Be in touch with me on LinkedIn. Thanks to my colleague, Emily Tolmer, for creating the CX Patterns logo. And to my friends, Moon Island, for the music. That's all for now. I'll be back in two weeks with another customer experience pattern.